The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have been paying attention. Just not the same just looking at my computer, you know? The show that almost didn't happen. She could repeat the question. And I listen more attentively. There must have been something in all of that nothing. Just waiting for the opening credit thing to finish here. Alrighty, little on air production. Never hurt anybody. People in radio used to tell me it sounds unprofessional when you're doing on-air production. I actually like it. It lets people at home kind of know you. Like, you lets you, them in behind the curtain a little. Yeah, you don't think you're you don't think you're perfect. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, atop two guys smoke shop at the Studio Twenty One Podcast Cafe. Uh, a little bit of a year-end show today. Normally we do the show on Thursdays, but tomorrow's I guess a holiday. I guess I don't know how New Year's became a holiday. I'm 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 still you know after all these years on this planet, still can't figure out why. It's important to watch a ball drop and count backwards. I don't know what that does for anybody. I've never understood what it does for anybody. Um, in fact, Greg Gutfeld said on, uh, I don't watch Fox much, but I do watch the five when Gutfeld's on. Um, he said, he said, you know, the one thing that COVID uh, made us all realize is that like we'd all be sitting around like New Year's Eve going, oh, we have to do this New Year's Eve thing with the ball dropping. Nobody really wants to do it, but we feel like we have to. He said, COVID, COVID reminded us, of, like, we don't really have to. Like there's no need for it. Like there's, there's, I don't understand. I never understood New Year's Eve. I never understood it. It's, it's an arbitrary day that was picked 2000 years ago. Right. And people celebrate and I don't mind going to a New Year's Eve party. Last year I went to the roaring twenties party. Diana DiZaglio threw uh, up in Haverhill. And I think that was the first New Year's Eve party I'd been to in like 15 years. Like I, I just, I, I, I usually stay home. I stay off the roads. There's too many drunks out there. There's too many idiots out there. People don't know how to drive when it's not New Year's Eve. I don't want to be on the road when it is New Year's Eve. Um, so we figured uh, we'd do the show a little early. We'd do it today. And um, I'll thank, thank you to Diane, who's watching uh, at home, says both the audio and video is good, which is excellent. Um, we have with us a couple of guests, and then when, when we're done with our guests, I want to do kind of like a little year in review of the show. Um, I do have some clips, but I didn't bring them today. I, we're going to do uh, next week when Neil Perry's here, we're going to do uh, a couple of clips of Neil Perry's best clips of the show. Oh, nice. Some of those were absolutely hilarious. I was going through them last week. Uh, but with us, we have a couple of guests. Why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us uh, why you're here? Hi, I'm Veronica Antich, and this is Elizabeth Dupont, and we are part of the Tres Latinas food truck. I'm already in love. <laughs> I say we end the show and go out for drinks. What do you guys say? <laughs> um, so, so tell me about tell me about this this food truck. And you emailed me a while back and said you wanted to you wanted to tell your story about uh, the difficult time that you had. Yes, it was definitely a challenge. We started the whole process in March. The process to do what? To buy the truck. To buy a food truck. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we we started in March and it was supposed to be ready by July and uh, was a bump after the other. Of course, the COVID excuse one time and the other and the other. 
and then but we finally got it in July and now it's up and running and we are very very happy with it. <laughs> so you, is it a food truck for uh, is, is it in Lawrence? You guys do a food truck in Lawrence? We go anywhere. Okay. Yeah. We can go anywhere. Our address is in Lawrence. Our kitchen. Okay. Our kitchen is in Lawrence. Uh, but we can go anywhere. We've we been in Cambridge. We've been in Lowell. In um, Lawrence, a few different places. And we're going to the brewery in Lowell this Saturday. Okay. We're going to be there. And we're going to be in the Elks um, Thursdays and Fridays. Okay. In Lawrence. So that's, we, we get any, any call. We got a call from New York. We're going to go to a uh, wedding next, this coming year in October. Uh, is it a free food truck? So you just go and get like... free free food off the free, free food truck? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> you got to go and get the food truck. If you follow us on, on Instagram or Facebook, you can see where we're going to be the next okay. week. And right. we're always posting. And it's updating. not free, but it's very affordable. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, and so what made you guys want to do this food truck thing? Like, why are you here? What's, what was the controversy? So the controversy was that... Um, uh, the guy who sold us the truck wasn't doing things right, so uh, it took us a while to get the plates mm -hmm. have done, and and that made us delay about a couple months because of the plates. Uh, he he was supposed to register the truck on his name, and then register to us, pass it along to us, but he wanted to jump that step. And that that make the whole thing delay two months. So now, did you have a hard time? No. What what community? You have to get a permit, right? So, what community did you register the truck with? Oh, that was very simple. Yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, in Lawrence, uh, Felix from Lawrence. Uh, he was very helpful with us, and all the the paperwork in Lawrence was very simple and easy, mm -hmm. and. Uh, very explanatory. The fire department, uh, all that was was smooth. Uh, the the problem in the in the past was the the guy who sold us the truck. I see. I see. Thankfully, so you just wanted to come on and badmouth the guy that no. tried to sell you the truck. That's why you're here. We got a big problem with the title. When we got the title, oh, the title. of the truck. We couldn't register the truck under our name, mm -hmm. so that's what the big problem. I We're see. trying to contact people from Pennsylvania, from from Maine, and trying to talk to them to see how we can fix it and. That was a, it took a long time. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we just want to make sure nobody else goes through the hoops that we went. So stay away from, from that guy. <laughs> so you just came on to tell people stay away from that guy. From that guy. That guy. Well, thanks yeah. for coming. I appreciate you being here. <laughs> Thank you for having us. And, and sure. We really and appreciate you. Because so, um, I, I, I got an email from you guys, and I, I, I thought there was some kind of controversy you wanted to... You wanted to get out. Yes. I, I thought you were having a hard time with the commute with like, you know, city hall or something. Oh, That's no. kind of like what we do. No. <laughs> no, no, I think they're just, I think they just were in love with me and they just wanted to come on the show. It's quite possible. Maybe. I think maybe. Yeah. yeah we maybe like a, you a lot. Over, really? You guys follow, follow what I do? Yeah. We do follow. Oh, nice. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So you live in Drake it. Yes. Right. So, um, and where are you from originally? Venezuela. Oh, you're from Venezuela. Yes. So what kind of a transition was that Venezuela to Drake it? <laughs> Um, like having no toilet paper to like, you know, <laughs> yes, streets exactly. paved with gold. Exactly. Yes. Right? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. The temperature, the weather is a big difference. And where are you from? Venezuela. You're from, oh, you're both from Venezuela. Yes. All right. And how long ago did you guys come? 20 years. 20, 20 years ago. 20 years. Mm -hmm. So you guys, you guys are immigrants from another country. You came here. You're starting your own. Most Americans are still sitting on their couch, <laughs> right? Waiting for an unemployment check. You guys went out and started your own business. And you're not even Americans. I mean, you weren't born here. You're, you're immigrants. 
And the people who live here, people who were born here, are so lazy, aren't they? <laughs> right? They just want everything handed to them. Some. Some. Some, yeah, that's true. Can I, you never over-sweepingly uh, broad brush anything because then I get lots of hate mail from people. You can't generalize. Yes. <laughs> So, all right. Well, listen, um, you guys can stick around. Did you want to like hang out while we talk about other stuff? Or is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, we just want to invite people to come see us now that we're finally up and running. Oh, you just wanted a free plug. <laughs> and normally I would say you have to pay for that, but they're so cute. I'm, I'm ready to say give the free plug. I have no problem doing that. Thank you. What's the name of the truck? Tres Latinas. Tres Latinas. That reminds me of my former favorite TV show, Tres Mujeres. I used oh. to watch all the time on uh, on Univision. Oh. I used to watch Trace Mujeres all day at my house. Especially when they have like a marathon. That's it. That's the. I usually watch CNN unless Trace Mujeres is on. And I got my DVR set. It automatically goes to that channel. I'm good for the day. Nice. So it's called Trace, Trace Latinas. Trace Latinas. That means three. So, that you, so somebody's missing. Yes. Oh, I'm waiting for that question. I was waiting for that. So where is she? She's not here. She can't be here. No. She's at home with a baby. With a baby. A all right. Ass. Very good. All right. <laughs> So, listen, I appreciate you guys coming in. You're free to hang around and, and, and have me talk about, like, you know, explosive political stuff. Or if you want to watch in the audience or you want to hang out up here, you're free to do both, either one, whatever you'd like to do. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. So, <laughs> all right, so they're going to stay? Yes. All right, okay. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors. Uh, who are our sponsors? Let me just pull it up here because, as you can tell, this is just, not, this is just one of those days. Uh, we want to thank... Uh, who do we have? EIS Investigations, which makes the Methuen City Council absolutely nuts, and that's one of the reasons why they're here. AFC Urgent Care, we love Lisa. We got to get Lisa back on the show. Lisa uh, Williams from AFC Urgent Care um, has been on the show a number of times. Maybe we'll have her next week with uh, Neil Perry. Neil Perry's going to be here next week, I think. Um, he was supposed to be Santa at the. Um, we do uh, family dinner for the homeless with TMF on Wednesday nights, and Christmas Eve, he was, I think Wednesday was Christmas Eve, um, or the night before, uh, he was supposed to play Santa, but the Inspector General's report hit that day. So he ended up, I don't know, like staying home and reading the report, uh, preparing for whatever it is that he had to do. The reports I, are never short either. No, it was a 153-page report. And and you can usually summarize them down into a few paragraphs. Right. This is what we're looking at. Right. So let me tell you uh, what the OIG report... Wait, let me finish uh, thanking my sponsors. Uh, Marsan and Sun Construction, uh, we love them. Andover Optical, McLennan Real Estate. If you're looking to, uh, if you're looking to sell a house, it's a seller's market. You want to be calling uh, Matt McLennan and Janet or uh, the other one. I can't believe I forgot, I forgot his name. Uh, Matt and Janet uh, and Sam uh, over at uh, McLennan Real Estate. The Inspector General's report in Methuen came out, uh, as I said, the day before Christmas Eve or, or about that. Uh, my days all, I don't sleep much, so my days kind of all mixed together. So please don't email me and tell me I got the wrong day because nobody really cares what day it came out, right? It's not really germane to the point. Um, so the Inspector General is an arm of the government. It's the arm of the uh, state government. And they, they're an investigative body, but they, they don't have any um, public safety powers. They don't have the power to enforce anything. They don't have the power to arrest anybody. They can't, um, they can't indict anybody. It's can, they, can they generally inspect? They can generally inspect. That's basically what and they do. It. Right. So the inspector general uh, issued this 153-page report on the Methuen Police Superior Officer's contract. It was interesting. It was an interesting report. 
most of what I read I know is provably true because we were there when it happened, right? We watched what happened when um, five members of the Methuen City Council had a conflict of interest and voted for the police contract anyway. We all watched how they didn't ask one question about what was in the contract and voted for it anyway. We all heard several councilors admit that they never read the contract before they voted for it. And we were all there when Tom Kelly, the city auditor, sat silent and said nothing to the councilors about the so-called stacking provisions that are in this contract for the police superior officers in Methuen. Um, so as you go through the Inspector General's report, as I did several times, um, the, the, the first thing that jumps out at you is the title. Like Before you even read it, it says, a, and I'm paraphrasing, it says a failure at every level, a failure of leadership at every level. And then they listed Steve Zani's responsibility. In fact, in the very first paragraph, they state that uh, former Mayor Steve Zani knew about the stacking provisions and didn't tell the council. What's weird, though, is if you read down about eight pages or so, it says that Police Chief Joe Solomon should be reprimanded or disciplined because he knew about the stacking provisions and didn't tell anybody. And I had to shake my head like Scooby-Doo, like, what, wait, what? And I went back to the first paragraph where it said that Mayor Zanny knew. Well, if the mayor, if the chief works for the mayor and the mayor knew, then why does Joe Solomon need to be disciplined for not telling the mayor, for not telling, quote, anybody, and the anybody would be the mayor because that's his boss, right? So if the mayor is sitting there at the city council asking them to, to approve a contract, and he knew that there was these stacking provisions in the contract. Why? Why is there? And again, I'm not defending Joe Solomon because he's my friend. I'm just I'm, I'm looking at the facts. Why is there a responsibility for Joe Solomon to tell people something that the mayor already knows? His boss is the mayor. If he's going to tell anybody, he's going to tell the mayor. He's going to tell his boss. So there's some stuff in this report that isn't exactly accurate. It makes it look bad. It really looks more like the Jim McCarty political report is what it looks like. It looks like uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a provision in the report, there's a, a, a part in the report where it says that everybody knew. Uh, the city solicitor failed to do his job, the city auditor failed to do his job, the mayor failed to do his job, and then they say the police chief failed to do his job. And so I'm looking at the mayor and I'm saying, yeah, he's the mayor, that makes sense. The city solicitor is supposed to go through the contract, and apparently he didn't. City solicitor always says he's only supposed to support. He's only supposed to uh, look at the contracts uh, as to form, as like, is this legal? Like, did they put all the provisions in the right place? Sure. Is it is it all there? He always says that's the only thing he's supposed to do. I, the inspector general's report disputes that, and I've always kind of scratched my head whenever Ricky has said that. Um, that he's only he's supposed to look at the contracts as to form, and the and the IG report says no. The the city solicitor is supposed to be the guardian of the taxpayers' money. They're supposed to read it and they're supposed to see if there's anything in it that's not supposed to be there. For example, if Jonathan and I are the tres Latinas women's uh, uh, women mujeres, um, uh, and I sit down and we want to do a contract where they're going to do advertising with me or whatever, we're going to sit down, we're going to negotiate, we're going to take notes. And they're going to write down in their notes, and I'm going to write down in my notes, and then we're going to put it all together in a contract, and I'm going to send it to them, or they're going to send it to me, and then we're going to sign it. But in the city of Methuen, what happens is they negotiate the contract, and then the city solicitor or the city auditor or both, and the mayor or all three, 
are supposed to read the contract when it's sent to them and make sure that what's in the contract is what they negotiated and there isn't anything else in the contract. And according to the OIG report, they're saying that, um, yes, Greg Gallant and the police superior officers snuck language into the contract that would compound their salaries and didn't tell anybody. And, I, and I'm not exactly sure that's true. Like when I go back and I read the emails, it seems pretty obvious the mayor knew about it. It's very obvious that Tom Kelly, the former city auditor, knew about it because he admitted at a city council meeting afterwards that not only did he know about it, but he told two city councilors before the vote and then refused to tell the council who those two councilors were. She had Jessica Finicaro was just eviscerating him in a meeting one day saying, I'm asking you, who did you tell? We want to know who you told the stacking provisions were in this contract before the vote. And he refused. And instead of, can you imagine you, your boss coming to you and saying, you need to tell me what happened? And you saying, no, I'm just not going to tell you. Wouldn't you be fired? Like, I'd, if you went for me, I'd fire you. Of course. If one of my drivers came to me and I said, hey, what happened at Man Orchard? You didn't deliver the last three weeks. And he goes, I'm not telling you. Well, good. You don't work here anymore. No, you know what that city council did? They didn't fire him. They gave him a platinum parachute retirement plan and let him cash out and leave without telling anybody anything. But what's interesting is with this report is that all of the media uh, buzz, all of the media hype around this report centers around the only guy that's left, Joe Solomon. And, of course, Greg Gallant because he negotiated the contract. So the mayor has put the chief and Greg Gallant on um, suspension with pay or leave with pay. Uh, I don't know if the mayor is going to try to fire him. He's going to be here next week. Hopefully, we'll get a, get a good answer out of him. Usually don't. We don't, usually don't, though, when it comes to future stuff. Right. When we ask him what he's going to do, he never gives us an answer. Uh, but he's put the chief on leave. And I'm, I'm still – look, if you hate Joe Solomon and you're looking for anything that you can, you're going to go through this report and you're going to find all you need. Right, because the simple rule of politics is the most simple, the most simple answer. The simplest story is always the easiest to believe. Sure. Right. So if, if for example, Jim McCarty was on Channel Seven last night, president of the Methuen City Council, saying that the that the chief was selling jobs. That's what he said. That the chief was get for, was trading jobs for favors. Except the chief doesn't hire people. The one thing Channel Seven did that it seems like none of the other members of the press did. And I didn't do it because if I do it, people would just say, well, he's your friend, you're just defending him. And you're just going to defend him no matter what. Um, but Channel 7 caught up to the chief. They quoted Jim McCarty. Um, they got a clip of Jim McCarty saying he's selling, his, selling jobs, trading favors for jobs. But then they actually asked the chief. That was a pretty good thing to do, I thought. I didn't see any of the, I don't think Channel 25 or F Channel 4 or Channel 5 or any of the others did that. And certainly the Boston Globe didn't or the Herald, they went and they asked him, and they said, well, Jim McCarty says you're selling jobs. And the chief said, I don't hire and fire. I don't know what he's talking about. Like, how can I, how can I trade favors for jobs or favors for promotions when the mayor is the one that does the hiring? And uh, when I had Neil Perry here a couple of weeks ago, um, he, he kind of hedged on that. He's like, well, yeah, you know, but we all know how it really works. Yeah, we all know how it really works. This, the, the police chief recommends and the mayor hires or doesn't hire. And in the last round, about three months ago or two months ago, the chief recommended the hiring of 16 police officers to go to the academy, and Mayor Perry said no. 
So he didn't just hire them anyway, right? Like if, if he was the guy that was selling jobs and trading jobs, trading favors for jobs, he would just be able to hire them anyway. But the, but the mayor said no. The mayor has the right to say no. And, and I'm, not taking any, I'm, I'm not taking any exception to the mayor saying no on the 16 cops. My point is the chief doesn't hire. Nobody wants to talk about that. And, he, and it's not like the mayor rubber stamps things that he says either mm-hmm. because if he says no to 16 people. Right. Now, this was under Zanny. Zanny uh, also had said no to some of his hires, some of his promotions. And certainly, Jajuga said no to some of his hires and some of his promotions. But I know it's a lot easier to say he's trading jobs, and, have, and people love to believe stuff like that. So they just say, he's, he's selling jobs, and they just go, okay. Right? People go, oh, that's a much easier... You know, it's kind of like, you know, the simplest story always wins with the public because people have ADD. People want, people want it as simple as possible so they can move on to something else because they don't want to pay attention to that for too long. One of the things in this report that... Re- it's the smallest thing in the report, but it bothered me the most. One of the things in this report um, is that um, they said that... Uh, God, I, just, I can't believe I just had a brain, brain freeze on that. I should have just had it in front of me, right? It's, it's just one of those days. You're usually much better than this. I am usually much better I than I think this. the audience will forgive you. All right, okay. Very good. I want to thank our sponsors, AFC Urgent Care, JG's <laughs> Ice Cream. Um, uh, so in, maybe I have it in my notes. Let me just take a quick look here. Um, Crap. Don't you really hate when that happens? Brain farts are the worst. Well, well one of the things they didn't talk about, uh, and, and I'll hopefully the other thing will come back to me. Um, one of the things that they didn't talk about was that there were, there were five councils that had a conflict of interest on this, on this vote. And, oh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. And let me write it down so that I, so that, and I already forgot it again. Isn't that yeah. awful? Hey, can we just start the show over? Can we just do that? Not a chance. I made it through that show open without a flaw. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. Oh, so let's put it in context, okay? So there's a thing in the report that says that Joe Solomon built into his own contract a provision that says if the mayor asks him to resign or pressures him to resign, they have to pay his contract. And the OIG was ballistic about that. No other police chief has this. This is greed. He shouldn't have done this. This is, this is horrible. But they're not putting it in context, why would Joe Solomon put in his contract that's never been there before a provision that says that if he is pressured to resign by the mayor, any mayor, that they have to pay his contract? Well, let's remember, when they were negotiating Joe Solomon's contract, he had just been wrongfully fired, sued the city, won his lawsuit against the city, went to civil service, won his civil service case, and then on another case, won. He won three different cases against the city, proving that he was wrongfully terminated. And the city didn't have the like 80 gazillion dollars to pay him that they were ordered. I don't know what the actual number was. It might have been 3 million, 5 million, whatever it was. But the city didn't have enough. So they said, we're going to build into your pay. We'll give you a small lump sum, and then we'll build into your pay like the rest of it. Okay? So... Joe sat down, Chief Solomon sat down with then Mayor Zanny and said, listen, if I'm going to come back, if this is going to be the way that it is, I'll come back, you can build it into my pay so that you can pay me and I'm going to bankrupt the city, but I want a provision to stop this from happening again. I want a provision that says if a mayor comes in and because of political pressure he's, that he's getting, he forces me to resign, he's got to pay my contract. And that just stops all those shenanigans that happened before when, when he was fired the first time. Because at first, the previous mayor tried to get him to resign, and he wouldn't, and then that's why he fired him. 
So when you put it into that context, having him put that into his contract that if he has to resign, if he's pressured to resign by the mayor, they have to pay his contract, it stops future mayors from pressuring him to resign over nothing, over politics. The IG didn't address any of that. They didn't put into context, I guess what I'm saying is, they didn't put into context the reason for some of these things. And here's something that nobody knows. I read 153 pages of that entire report, and I read it far more than once, like maybe three or four times. Do you know they never interviewed the chief? Can you imagine like they're doing an investigation of you, Mr. Jonathan, or uh, the DMV wants to do an investigation of the Trace, Trace Latinas food truck, but they don't actually in, in, interview them and ask them like, hey, what does this mean? Why did you do this? That's kind of interviewing 101 right there. Right. So it really kind of looks like this was a political report. Maybe Linda Campbell made some phone calls. Maybe some other high political people made some phone calls that are tied into this. And, um, and, and the IG gave them the political answers that they wanted because there's a huge move to fire Joe Solomon. And I understand that. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I understand it because there are people who hate Joe Solomon for a variety of different reasons and always have. He's a tough guy. He doesn't put up with any crap. He has disciplined many of his officers. And when he disciplines his officers, those malcontents, then run to city councils and saying, I'm being picked on. He's a crook. He's a crook. Look, there's a big difference, folks, between a guy making too much money. I get that. People hate Joe Solomon because he makes too much money. Does he make too much money? Yeah, he probably does. He probably makes too much money. If you ask me, I'd give every cop a million dollars because they're running into like you know gunshots, okay? But that's in a perfect world. But there's a, far, there's a far cry from we hate him because he makes too much money and we hate him because he's a crook. There's a huge, there's a huge gap there. There's, there's, no, there's no correlation between he makes too much money, therefore he's a crook. That doesn't work. And he makes too much money, so he's a crook. That doesn't work. So I've been saying to the city councilors now since forever, show me the evidence and I'll publish it. What did uh, Mike Samad say, the guy who actually should know better? The guy who, I'm mean, not even going to go into it. The guy who's known me for 20-something years and knows exactly what makes me tick is out there saying, oh, no, no, Tom Duggan, we can't give him the information. We don't trust him. Because you, you're going to report on the facts. Right. Well, the difference, That's not trustworthy. Right. The difference is when they feed things to the globe, the globe reports it as fact. When they report it to me, I say, where's your evidence? And when they say I don't have any evidence, then I'm not going to report on the story without the evidence. So when this report hit, I had one of the one of the city councilors send me a snarky text message. Thanks for that, saying, "You want your evidence? Here it is." And he sent me the link. And I had already read through it, and I didn't want to argue with him because as soon as it hits, it becomes a big thing, and everybody wants to grandstand, and everybody wants to exploit the emotions of the people. And does the report look bad? Yes, it does. Are there things in this report that Joe Solomon probably could have done better? Yes. But if you list it, and I did, in order of who has the most responsibility for this superior officer's contract having this so-called stacking provisions in it in Methuen, um, Joe's at the bottom of that list. I mean, you've got the mayor, who has the ultimate authority. You've got the city solicitor, who is the legal authority who's supposed to go through the contract, make sure that there's nothing in it that's not supposed to be there and didn't do it. You have the city auditor who's supposed to put a cost analysis together to show the city councils before they vote, how much is this going to cost? Like, with all of these raises and all of this stacking, what's the bottom line going to be on our budget next year? What's the cost analysis going to be? He never did that. 
Then they wrapped Steve Zani for not ordering him to do that, even though it's his job and he shouldn't be ordered to do it. He should just actually do it. You're a city auditor. Audit, right? That's what you're supposed to That's do. That's your job. Um, and they mentioned the five city councilors that had a conflict of interest. The entire city council who admit they didn't even bother to read the damn contract. And then you get Joe Solomon at the bottom, who... Like they had, they were looking so hard to find something on Joe Solomon in this report that they actually put in there that it was wrong for Joe Solomon to negotiate the patrolman's contract. Now, mind you, this is not a report about the patrolman's contract. This is a report about the superior officer's contract. I want to say that again. This is not a report about the, the, the patrolman's contract. It's a report on the superior officer's contract. But they were so desperate to put something negative in there about Joe Solomon that there's a couple of paragraphs in there about how he's basically corrupt because he negotiated the patrolman's contract and he gets his pay based on the patrolman's contract. So if the patrolman gets like a 5% raise, he gets like a 7% raise. So I called my friend Chief Vaskin Lawrence and said, uh, hey Roy, and this was at least three months ago. I said, hey Roy, do you, are you involved in the patrolman contract negotiations? He said, yeah. I said, is your pay tied to, he said, yeah. And I called Alan DeNaro in Haverhill, and he said, yeah, we all do that. And I called Chuck Gray, the police chief in North Andover, and he said, yeah, we all do that. Well, you, it stands to reason that if you have more responsibility than your underlings, you would make more money than they do. Right. So if their pay goes up, yours has to go up. Right. That's common sense. Right. But in, according to this report, apparently that's never done anywhere else, that Joe Solomon needs to be reprimanded because he negotiated for the city against the patrolman in their patrolman's contract. And, and because they got a raise, it bumped his raise up, so he was self-dealing. That's, that's, the, that's the argument. That's the, that's the point that they're trying to make. It's just bogus. So, again, are there things in this report that look bad for Joe? Yes. Are there things in this report that look bad for former Mayor Zanny? Unfortunately, yes. I think of... of I, think, I didn't count. I'm going to do a, a word count when I get home. I think Steve Zani's name had to have been mentioned at least 600 times in this report. Wow. It was literally like five times per paragraph. And he was the mayor. He is legally responsible. I, I, I know Steve Zani. Steve Zani and I were enemies forever until like the last year of his term, we kind of smoothed things over and became friends. But I know one thing about Steve Zani. And I'm going to use this word lovingly because, because I know his family and I, and, I, and I love them. They're great people. But he's the most miserly SOB I've ever met in my life. Like that guy still has the first penny he ever earned. I can't imagine him, Steve Zani, reading through this contract and saying, yeah, let's give everybody like a million dollars. Like, you know, like Dr. Eve, like, and one million dollars. I, I can't imagine him doing that. But according to the report, he knew. According to the report, he knew before he signed it. And if that's true, and if we take that at face value from the Inspector General, then why is Joe Solomon responsible for not telling anybody what they knew? That's, that's just my, it's just a simple question. Now, I know I'm going to get hate mail after the show. I can already hear you writing it in my head. Duggan's defending Solomon again. Yeah, you're damn friggin' right I'm defending him again. Because I sat here in 2008, 2009, whatever year it was, when they fired Joe Solomon the first time and the same thing happened. They had a bunch of disconnected things. They made it look bad. They strung them all together. They threw it at Joe, tried to force him to resign. He refused, and they fired him. And we all know what happened after that. 
if I was a betting man, and I am, and I was betting on a horse in this race, I think I'm betting on the Joe Solomon horse. I think if they fire him... He's a contender. I think if they fire him, if Mayor Perry fires him, and God, I hope he doesn't, but he may, if, if Neil Perry fires him, I think Joe sues and he wins. Because again, the one thing nobody's talking about is retaliation. And Joe's going to walk into court, the Chief's going to walk into court and say, Your Honor, because once it's in court, it will be in context, right? It's not the media. Not, the court's not just going to selectively pick things they to... They need evidence. Right? They're going to look for evidence. And the evidence they're going to see is he was wrongfully fired, he sued, he won, he went to civil service, he won, he had another lawsuit, he won for like harassment and, and all kinds of stuff, right? And then he came back basically on the condition that like people just leave me alone to do my job. That's really what he wanted to do. Leave me alone and let me do my job. Are there issues with his contract? Yes, there are issues with his contract. Are there issues with the superior officer's contract? There absolutely is. Are there issues with the patrolman's contract? I don't think so, but there might be. But when I look at the fire chief's contract and I look at the police chief's contract, there's not much difference. And nobody's going after the fire chief saying, how come you're making so much money? So all, I, all I'm asking for my viewers, my readers, my guests. Thank you so much for being here. I love having them. Can you, They're great. Can you actually just come every show? So every time I look over, there's two beautiful women next to me and I feel better about myself. Can you do that? All I, all I ask of, of the people who are consuming the news that I put out or consuming the opinions that I put out is just to try to step back and put things in context. Don't be a sheep. Don't just follow what everybody else is saying because everybody else is saying it. I hear it. I go to breakfast in Methuen. I do business in Methuen. I deliver my papers in Methuen. And I hear people when they're sitting down at the table next to me. I was at Miller's Tavern last week. There were a bunch of people sitting next to us uh, talking about how Joe Solomon's a crook and he sells jobs and on and on and on. And you don't want to fight with strangers, so I didn't say anything, right? It's not my place. But it goes to show you why certain politicians and certain members of the media beat a dead horse. They say certain things over and over and over and over and over, certain phrases over and over and over and over again, so that it filters down to that uninformed voter who isn't really paying attention. But when you're saying something over, 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 over and over, it filters down. It seeps into them. They hear it. And again, if it's a simple message like, Joe Solomon's a crook, well, I could very easily come in and say, Jim McCarty's a crook. Jim McCarty's, Jim McCarty's stepfather. I could do the same thing to Jim McCarty they're doing to, to Joe Solomon, and it would probably even be more effective, even though it might not be true. Right? And that's the shame. Right? So, for example, Jim McCarty is the president of the city council. His stepfather, whom he lives with, is a city employee. Now, the state says that's not a conflict of interest because he technically, he didn't marry the guy's mother. So, technically, he's not immediate family. I think I disagree with that law. I think it's still a conflict of interest. Maybe legally it's not, but if you're voting on the DPW budget and your stepfather that you have dinner with every night is in that budget, I think it's a conflict. And I bet you that I could find the number of times that Jim McCarty's been down at DPW to micromanage what they're doing down there. I bet you, if I put in a public records request for how much overtime Steve Sabre's son, who also works at DPW, how much overtime he got last year compared to like all the other guys that have been there 30 years. I bet you he's the guy that has the most overtime. In fact, I'm told he is. I bet I could put a report together that would tie a bunch of things together that made it look like Steve Saber had something to do with it. And he might have. I don't know if he did or not. 
He might not have. The point is you can you can connect dots. Right. You and can make some, something look like a picture. That's right. And we do we see it all the time with national politics. Our guy is the best no matter what he does, no matter what he does we're going to defend him. The Trump supporters, Trump was right. He could go out on 5th Fifth, Fifth Avenue and shoot 15 people. He's not going to lose one supporter. But by the way, that's not exclusive to Donald Trump. You could go out and you could, Joe Biden could have gone out and killed 25 people and people were still going to vote for him too. People are going to make excuses for their guy. What pisses me off is that there are so many people out there doing it. I don't. Yet I get accused of it. Right. I get accused of defending Joe because he's my friend. So I've said to Mike Samad and DJ Borgard, Show me evidence he's a crook, I'll publish it. No, we don't trust you, Tom. Well, let me ask you guys, let's just have a little, a little quiz. Who was the first one to post a story online about the Inspector General's report? That would have been me. I posted it first. Maybe some other organization had a headline on their website. I'm the, one who, who, I'm the first one who wrote a comprehensive report on, what, uh, report on what the IG report says, and no editorializing. They said Joe Solomon did X, Y, and Z. Even if I don't think that's true, I put it in there anyway. Because there's a difference between having an opinion and letting your opinion color your news. People think that if you have an opinion, you're biased. Having an opinion doesn't make you biased. I can have an opinion, and these two lovely ladies could come here and say, we have a dispute on who owns this truck. Can you mediate for us? Well, maybe I like you more than I like you, but I'm still going to listen to the evidence. And if you've got more evidence, I'm going to say, you know what? I think she's got more evidence. That's what being an objective reporter is. And when I say to DJ Borgad, where's the evidence? Why do you keep saying he's a crook? Why do you keep doing this with no evidence? And then the day this report comes out, he sends me a snarky, Here, here's the evidence. Well, that still doesn't make what you did okay, Deej. Honestly, it doesn't. Because six months ago, you were still out there without the evidence saying that he's a crook. And his answer is, well, we knew this all along. No, you didn't. You were told it. You didn't know it. Now that the IG's report, now you know it. But you didn't know it at the time. I don't know what's going to happen with Joe. I don't know what's going to. I think I think Greg Lance probably in a lot more trouble than Joe Solomon is. I think the I think the focus on Joe is um, I think it's wrong. But I think Greg Lance probably in a lot more trouble because this is the road they're going down. Now there's a this is the first of three reports on the so-called corruption in the Methuen Police Department. And by the way, as a full disclaimer, I'm not saying there's no corruption in the Methuen Police Department. There probably is. There's corruption in every department. I'm just saying the dots you guys are connecting, a lot of them don't connect. You have to find the actual corruption, not right. make up corruption. Right, right. So, he, so Joe, the chief negotiated a contract that gives him like, I don't know, $300,000 a year. It was voted on by the city council. It was signed by the mayor. It was approved by the city solicitor. It was approved by the city auditor. If he goes to court, that's all that's going to matter. If he goes to court, people can say he shouldn't have put so much in. People can say he shouldn't get so much money. He shouldn't be getting, there was another thing in there that uh, his contract says he gets overtime um, for um, like special things like if there's a flood or something. But it doesn't say what his regular business hours are. I actually agree with that part. So they're negotiating his contract that he gets overtime if he does like special stuff, but doesn't outline what the special stuff is. It doesn't outline what his regular hours of operation are because he's 24-7. He's a police chief. So, so I agree with that. That's something that mechanically you can fix, right? You, the mayor can come down and say, because you're a chief 24-7, you don't get overtime. 
Now, if there's a flood or something and you're working 18 straight hours because there's an emergency, something happens. Um, you could certainly blueprint that out right. and be reasonable right. about it. But if you listen to Jim McCarty, this report says Joe Solomon kicks puppies on Sundays and stole money from the church, <laughs> from, from the church poor box. That, that's the narrative they're trying to put out. The other side is trying to put out a story that, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong happened at all. And I think the truth is maybe somewhere in the middle. I think the chief has some culpability on some of the things that happened because he's the chief. However, the time to deal with that was then when you could have gone to the mayor who was his boss, who, according to the IG report, knew about all of this. And you could have told his boss that maybe something could have happened then. You can't retroactively go back three years, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can. But you shouldn't be able to go back retroactively three years and say, hey, Jonathan did something three years ago. We're going to fire him from Two Guys Smoke Shop. You know, three years ago, a lady came in and you told her to go F herself. And we don't care what the circumstances were. We don't care that she came in with a baseball bat and started breaking things. We're just going to fire you because you, you shouldn't talk to people that way. And it was three years ago, and, and we don't like you anyway, so you're gone. And it kind of seems like that's what's going on here. Now, this is the first report. The second report, I understand, is in the mayor's hands. I From what he told us last time he was here, he was going to have it by Christmas. Christmas is over. So I assume he has it. Maybe he doesn't, but he said he was going to. The audit report is this. The city council and the mayor decided to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of like $40,000, $80,000, whatever it is, to have a management audit of the police department to see how effectively manpower is being used, resources are being used. Um, do they have a supervisor on the late nights? Do, are detectives doing what they're supposed to do? Are they filling out their proper paperwork? It's for the administration of the department. Um, they hired an outside firm that came in. They audited the department. They interviewed police officers. I'm sure there are malcontents that didn't like the chief that badmouthed them. I'm sure there are guys that don't hate the chief that said great things about him. Hopefully, they weighed everything fairly. And they've, again, according to Neil, what he said was going to happen. It's in the mayor's hands now. And we'll see what happens from that report. I'm dying to read that report. As a former member of the Lawrence School Committee, I remember in a management audit report of the superintendent that came before us, and the audit reports are generally boilerplate. The first section, maybe 15, 20 pages, are all the things the school department, in this case the police department, are doing right. You know, they're staffing their first shift correctly, they've got um, um, the drug and addiction people on at night, which is when most people overdose, whatever. Then the next section is things the department could be doing better. Right? So it's not going to say things the department's doing wrong and they are stealing money and they're doing it'll be these are the things that they could be doing better. Maybe second shift isn't staffed adequately. Maybe their canine officer isn't being utilized properly. Maybe the detectives are focusing on the wrong types of things. And they'll talk about those things. And then the final section will be this is the section nobody looks at if 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 it says good things. What outweighs what? The final section is the good outweighs the bad or the bad outweighs the good. We find this department to be completely mismanaged or we find this department to be pretty well managed except for a few things that you guys need to change mechanically in the way you do things. That's what an audit report is. It's not an investigation. It's not an FBI. I know Jim McCarty was asking at one meeting. It was hilarious. He goes, he asked the mayor, now are they going to be subpoenaing all the chief's emails? <laughs> and the chief was like, 
No, they're not the FBI, you moron. He didn't say moron. I'm saying moron. But he, 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 this isn't the FBI. They're not doing a, an, an investigation, a criminal investigation. This is to see how well the department is managed. And I said from day one, if that report says 99 things that are great about the management of the department, but the Joe Solomon buys too many paperclips, they're going to want to fire him over the paperclips. We know that's what's going to happen. All I'm asking my readers and my audience is be open-minded. When the audit report comes out, DJ Beauregard and DJ Deeb and Mike Samad and the rest of these guys are all going to post it online and say, see, he's a crook. Read it. Don't just read what they say is in it. Don't just, don't just listen to what Tom Duggan says is in it. I say this for everybody, including myself. Read it. Go through it and read it. This stuff, is, it's not in legalese, most of it. It's, it's not difficult to read. It's not difficult to understand. It doesn't say like, I tried to read the new Roe Act in Massachusetts, the infanticide bill that they just passed, and my state rep got mad at me for criticizing her for voting on it. She says, you didn't read the bill. I said, you know what? You're right. And I apologize. I said, you're right. I didn't read the bill. I tried to read the bill. I couldn't read it. I mean, the first paragraph is, removing paragraph three of subsection 421 of Mass General Law 25. Who's supposed to be able to read that and understand it? It's crazy. You can't read and understand that. These reports aren't that. You, it sounds like you can kind of skip to the summary. Right. Uh, you could read through all the other right. stuff, but you could, you could do it quick and easy. Go to the summary. Go to the summary. See. Right. And I'm the first guy to say, if you can show me Joe Solomon, Greg Galant, or any of these guys are stealing money, show me the evidence. I'll report it. But we don't trust you, Tom. Jonathan, do you need to trust somebody to, gi to give them evidence? You no, give them no. evidence. If no. they don't use it, they don't use it, right? No. Like, so what is it? Where, where does trust come in? You're not, you're not a guy who pushes your agenda. You're a guy who looks for the truth. And that can be annoying for people who are trying to hide the truth. Right. That's exactly right. And this is why, this is why counselors don't want to talk to me about these issues. Because they don't want the Globe, the Herald, or the Valley Patriot to actually delve down, get, get beneath the surface, figure out what's really going on, and then just report that. What they want is Joe Solomon's evil. He rapes nuns. We have to fire him. He's bad. We got to get. We got to get rid of him. And that's been the entire focus of this council for the last year. We're, this is the last show of the year. How much time we got? Oh, good. Um, it, this is the last show of the year, and it seems like all the Methuen politicians could talk about all year, with the exception of the mayor, is we got to get rid of Joe Solomon. And it's at almost every meeting. It's it's every report that I read in the Boston press that involves Methuen. And then here's my favorite part. So like a Jim McCarty and DJ Borgard will run to the Globe and say, hey, guess what the chief did today? And then the Globe or the Herald will report it without doing any facts checking at all. And then at the next meeting, McCarty and Borgard will sit there and go, the chief's giving us bad press. This is just so bad for, for Methuen. This is just so bad. He's just, he's making the, we should get rid of him for, for no other reason, but it's just making the city just look so bad. Right. You know who's really making the city look bad? Jim McCarty's making the city look bad by running to the Boston press and bad-mouthing the chief and trying to make it look like you've got the Wild West at the Methuen Police Department. He's the one making Methuen look bad. Does, uh, I mean, what are, what are the crime stats? Is it, would you say the chief is being an effective chief? Uh, crime stats are, it's basically the same everywhere. Uh, before COVID, because you got it with the COVID, you got it, sure. right? Um, but crime's been going down prior to COVID. Crime's been going down everywhere, including in Methuen. Some crimes are going up. 
Um, I think in Lawrence, every crime went down except for murder. That's kind of a big thing. So the chief in Lawrence called me and I said, can you give me the stats? And he's like, oh, that great crime is down. Crime is done. I talked to the guys, superior officers in Lawrence. Crime is down. Crime is down. Crime is down. Then you look and the murders are up. And you go, yeah, crime can be down in every other category, but that's kind of the one that counts. That's a big deal. That's, that, that's kind of, so I think the same thing in Methuen. I think everything's down except for maybe they had one more murder. But don't hold me to that. We'll have the mayor uh, on next week, and we'll, uh, we'll ask him about that. Um, once the new management audit is released, and hopefully that will be happening in the next week or so, I will go through it, and I will write another report, and I will post it without my opinion, because that's what a reporter does. I think the problem is that, that, that too many people, because I give my opinion, people think that I can't be an objective reporter because I give my opinion. But this is an opinion show. When I'm writing an opinion column or an editorial, that's my opinion. But friend or foe, if there's a news report to be written about somebody that I hate and they did something good, I'm going to write that story and make them look good. Because I'm not Steve Sabre. And I'm not DJ Beauregard. And I'm not Jim McCarty. I'm not looking to push my narrative. In fact, I started my newspaper because I was sick of other newspapers pushing their narrative. I was sick and tired of the Globe and the Herald and the Eagle Tribune. If they didn't like you, you could do no right. And if they liked you, you could do no wrong. And that's why you will see people that I like being excoriated in pages of my newspaper. I get this call all the time, Jonathan. I thought so-and-so was your friend. He is my friend. Then what are you ripping him apart for in your newspaper? Because he did something stupid. That's my job. If I was a cop and you were drunk driving and I pulled you over, could I let you go because you're my friend? No. No. So I look at my job as a reporter exactly the same thing, right? If 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 Joe you if someone if DJ Borga came to my office and said Joe Solomon's stealing money and here's the proof, I would have published every word of it. I would have fact-checked it first, I would have gone through it first and made sure that this wasn't one of those two dots that don't connect, but we're gonna connect them anyway, kind of thing. But by the way, why wouldn't I do that? Why for those of you who've been following me for even five minutes, why wouldn't I? Publish a story if they, someone showed me proof that Joe Solomon was an actual crook, that he was stealing money or selling jobs. If I wrote that story, it would have 10 times more credibility because everybody knows he's my friend. Of course. And all the advertising dollars that would come with that, it would, it would, the advertising dollars would flood in. People who, were, people who believe the Jim McCarty narrative, the Steve Saban narrative, uh, he's with Joe Solomon. We don't want to be connected to him would read that and go, I guess, he's, I guess he's not really skewing his news for Joe Solomon. Maybe we should be with this guy. And I guarantee you my ad revenue would double like almost overnight. So what's my incentive to bury a story that, of somebody who's stealing or somebody who's corrupt? I, I, there's no motivation at all. Other than they could say, well, he's your friend. But how did that work out for Mike Samad? Mike Samad was my friend. Oh, so I thought, right? Mike Samad, we gave him the Officer Tom Duggan Hero Police Officer Award at my bash a couple years ago. He's done the front page of my newspaper at least a half a dozen times for doing heroic things. I endorsed him when he ran for Methuen City Council. I, I, I can't imagine anybody that I've been better to than, Joe, than Mike Samard. And yet when Mike Samard started going after Joe Solomon, I called him out on it even though he's my friend. And on the phone rang, believe me, all my Lawrence cop friends, Tom, why are you going after Mike? He's the greatest guy in the world. I agree. He's the greatest guy in the world. I love Mike Samad. Even though he's kicking the shit out of me everywhere he goes, I still think he's one of the greatest guys in the world. He doesn't have to like me for me to like him. 
But when he does something wrong, I call him out on it. And I said on this program when Neil Perry was here last time, uh, Steve Saber did a great job on, on the budget. I hate Steve Saber. There's nobody I dislike more in this business. If I, if I had my way, he would never be an elected official to, for anything anyway. He wouldn't be dog catcher and drink it. Don't be I, afraid to tell us how you really feel. I, I, but, well, the guy's a scumbag. But he did a great job on the budget. I wrote a report on all the city councils and gave him an A on the budget. Why wouldn't I do that? Because if you're the kind of person that says, for example, Trump sucks, Trump sucks, Trump sucks, Trump sucks, Trump sucks, no matter what he does, you have no more credibility the next time you say Trump sucks. But if you're the kind of person who says, you know, Trump is right about this and Trump is right about that, but he sucks, he shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, now you've got a hell of a lot more credibility. Absolutely. And so all I really care about is my credibility. So when guys like Mike Samad run around trying to hurt my bottom line and, and, and stop people from advertising with me because I disagree with him on Joe Solomon, it's not Tom Duggan that's making it personal. It's not Tom Duggan that's skewing things based on my personal feelings. It's Mike Samad skewing things based on his personal feelings. And I'm, I'm, I think if I, had to, if I had to give an award for biggest disappointment of 2020, it would be Mike Samad. Because I really thought he was going to get in there, try and straighten out the problems at the police department, try and straighten out the problems in DPW and the other problems that are going on in Methuen. I, I, I figured he was going to be, he was going to be great. And I was so excited the night he won. Go back and watch those videos the night that he won when I interviewed him. I was giddy. Here's a guy that I thought was just going to be a... I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? This guy could be mayor someday. Could be a state rep someday. Because he's an honest guy. And come to find out he's not. And Or is it that he's drinking the, the wrong Kool-Aid? Well, you know, they say never meet your heroes. And, and I've always... Uh, my heroes have never been sports players. My heroes have always been cops and firefighters because I grew up in a police household. Mine have always been cowboys, by the way, but thanks for asking. My, Mike Samad has always been, and I don't mind saying it, even though I have egg on my face, Mike Samad's always been one of my heroes. The day that the guy got gunned down on Hampshire Street, uh, we had the video of it. We posted it online. It caused all kinds of trouble because we had the video and we posted it. Um, I, got the, I got to the scene before the ambulances got to the scene. I got there maybe Five seconds after Mike Samad got there, because Mike Samad got out of his car alone on Hampshire Street at four in the afternoon in the summer with a crowd of gangbangers surrounding him, drops to his knees and starts doing CPR on this guy and never once looked over his shoulder to see if he was in danger. And I took the pictures and I took the videos and I posted them, put them on the front page of my paper and called him a hero because he is. He's a hero. But that doesn't mean it's okay what he's doing with this Joe Solomon stuff. And it doesn't mean it's okay that he's bad-mouthing me everywhere I go after I think I've been pretty good to him. And I think my biggest disappointment of the year, I think it's, I think it's, I would have said Jessica Finicaro had Mike Samad not done some of the things that he's done in the last few weeks. And, you know, when I find out that he's trying to hurt my bottom line, he's telling people not to advertise with me after he has donned the pages of my paper for years and taken advantage of good publicity in my paper for years, that's the one that hurt the most, right? So... Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a perfect person, and I'm not as uh, hard and tough as a lot of people think I am. I was genuinely hurt by that. And I was genuinely hurt when he went on at a city council meeting when they were supposed to be doing city business and attacked me personally uh, over the Jack Wilson thing. And I sat in my office watching this, and I thought, like, who is this guy? And so they always say, don't meet your heroes, and this is a perfect example of why. Because had Mike Samad never become a city councilor, had I not had the personal interactions that I had with him, it wouldn't have hurt so much. He'd go and badmouth me all he wants, 
and act like a typical politician, which is what he's doing. And I would have just fluffed it off and said, yeah, he's just another Steve Saber. But I knew the guy and I liked the guy. I loved the guy. And I can't tell you, I, I can't remember being more proud than the night that I gave him that award. Like, because I remember what he did on Hampshire Street and a couple of other things that he's done too that we could spend all day talking about. The guy is genuinely a hero cop. I have nothing bad to say about him in any of that regard. I, I, I just, he knows who I am and he knows how I tick and he's lying to people about what that is. And I think that's what really hurt the most. All right, so we're going to end the show. Um, I want to thank um, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble, but that is so sexy. It's unbelievable. And, and Veronica, Veronica, <laughs> nice Irish name. I want to thank you guys for coming. Love hanging out with you guys. You want to guys want to go like across the street and get like a, a hamburger or something? <laughs> no, no, they've had enough. <laughs> they've had enough. They're like, no, we don't even know why we're here anymore. We should have taken advantage when he told us we could leave. <laughs> All right. Uh, May and Neil Perry will be here next week. The following week, we're going to have um, Joe Silverio from Four Star Lighting. We're going to have Joe Bevilacqua from the Merrimack Valley Chamber of Commerce. And we're also going to have someone from Andover Optical to talk about how COVID has hurt small businesses. I want to thank Mr. Jonathan, who uh, sat in today as the uh, producer. I miss having you here. I miss being here. Yeah, you should do it a little bit more. I don't want you to do anything with Ben. ben don't, <laughs> please don't fire Ben. Last time I said something Ben's like that, good. somebody got fired. Ben's good. But um, we'd love to have you back once in a while. All right. Melvin Taylor says you got to go home. Stay home tonight. Don't go out. It's New Year's Eve. There's going to be a lot of drunks on the road. Melvin Taylor says you got to go home, so go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.